you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to Genesis 35. Genesis chapter 35. Our journey with Jacob began way back in chapter 26. And we watched him as he missed firstborn status by a few seconds, beat out by his brother Esau. We saw some of the tragedies and triumphs in his life. And now his story, as it were, comes to a close here in chapter 35. We're, we're not, we don't have a report of Jacob's death until later on, um, until the end of the book. And he's still going to do and say some significant things. But for all intents and purposes, the narrative is moving on from Jacob at this point. It's closing out the Jacob narrative and moving on. So chapters 35 and 36 serve to sort of tie up some loose ends um, and prepare us to journey with Joseph down to Egypt. That's the next part of our journey. So we're going to focus on chapter 35 this morning. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll, we'll use chapter 36 kind of a, as a bridge to get into the Joseph narrative, which is going to take us from chapters 37 all the way to chapter 50. But this morning, after having watched Jacob's journey for so many weeks and having sort of traced his actions throughout the years of his life, we've come to a place where where Jacob seems to finally submit to God and begin to walk in faith. We've sort of seen hints of his growing in faith, but it always seems sort of like a um, two steps forward, one step back, or maybe two steps back, or maybe three steps back, depending on what he's doing but he's 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 like us isn't he i mean he's he's growing he's learning but he's doing it imperfectly i read a quote by eugene peterson it says this god works patiently and deeply but often in hidden ways in the mess of our humanity and history and that speak to jacob he's working in patiently and deeply in jacob but it's often in hidden ways and it's in the mess of our humanity and our history so god has been working And here in chapter 35, it seems that all the lessons of these years and all the messages that God has given to Jacob are kind of finally sinking in. Saying all that, you may think that Jacob's life is now going to be filled with joy alone, no heartache whatsoever. That's the lie that we're often tempted to believe, that if we are walking with God, it means that difficulty and heartache will vanish from our lives. That having seen the light at the cross and received our sight, we will now be happy all the day, as the song says, right? But Jacob shows us that devotion to the Lord doesn't mean the absence of difficulty. Rather, when we walk with and when we submit to God, he, he equips us to honor him in the path, in the, in the, in the pain and the trials of life, as well as the triumphs. Let me say that in some sort of clear fashion. Um, full devotion to God. I think that's a big theme here. Full devotion to God brings blessing, while also equipping us to faithfully face difficulty and death. Now that's long, so I'll repeat it a couple times, okay? Full devotion to God brings blessing. That's great, but there's another side to it. Full devotion to God brings blessing, while also equipping us to faithfully face difficulty and death. Full devotion brings blessing, but it also equips us to faithfully face difficulty and death. And we're going to see both of those things with Jacob. I think the text, therefore, forces us to think about and ask the question of ourselves, am I fully devoted to God? 
Do I understand what full devotion is? Am I living in complete submission to God? And if I am, what are my expectations? What do I think full devotion is going to bring? Do I think it's going to just bring blessing? Or do I also see that it's going to equip me to faithfully face difficulty and death? Or do I see and seem to think that if I'm devoted to Christ, then I won't have to worry about difficulty? Let's read this chapter and, and think about these things and think about this theme of how as Jacob is devoted, he sees blessing, but he also sees difficulty. And how does he respond to these things? So Genesis 35, and I'll start reading in, in verse 1, and we'll read the whole chapter. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears, Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Now, Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel, and he called its name Alan Bakuth, which means oak of weeping. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then he journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. When her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, son of my right hand. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. While Israel lived in the, that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. 
the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. Feels a little bit hodgepodge, this chapter, doesn't it? Just a lot of different narratives and a different, different things. But I still think this theme of full devotion to God bringing blessing, but also equipping us to face difficulty and death is here. Just note, verse 22, this whole thing with Reuben and Bilhah, I see it. We're not going to deal with it this morning. Uh, it's going to come up later on as, as Jacob blesses his children later on. And so we'll deal with it then. This is sort of a foreshadowing of what's going to happen there. And so I just don't want you to think that I'm skipping over it because I'm scared to deal with it. Just We're not going to deal with it now. It doesn't really fit in uh, with what we want to say just yet. But it's a foreshadowing of, of what's going to happen. We're going to think about this, this idea of full devotion. And the first thought is, is full devotion brings blessing. I think we see that here very clearly. Full devotion to God brings blessing. Last week as we considered the horrible events in Shechem surrounding Dinah, we saw that the many people who were responsible for the situation and how they all responded poorly to that situation. Jacob specifically. He failed to lead his family both before the situation by not instructing his daughter and afterwards by not defending his daughter. But he also bears some of the blame because his family should have never been in Shechem in the first place. When God appeared to Jacob, it was in Bethel. And it was Bethel that Jacob was supposed to return to and that he had promised to return to. But instead, he stops in Shechem, which is just a day's journey from Bethel. So when God appears to Jacob at the beginning of chapter 35 and he tells him, go to Bethel, He's calling him to to full obedience. He's saying, Jacob, do what you said you would do. You said that you would fulfill this vow. And he's calling Jacob to fulfill that vow in a way that he had not yet done. And Jacob's response is to do what God says, to fulfill his vow and to fully obey. I think you see Jacob's theology here. His his understanding of who God is, is is coming into focus. And he's ready to obey God fully. He describes God in two ways. You notice that God comes to him and says in verse 1 that he's the God who appeared to him. And then later on as Jacob is speaking to his family in verse 3, he says, I'm going to make an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. The God who answers me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. I love that. He says God has, has heard his cries and God has never left his side throughout all his journeys. He's finally ready to sort of admit that he needs more than his own ingenuity and that God is the one who has actually been preserving him. And seeing God's hand and God's presence, he's ready finally to fully submit to him. I think there's application here for us. You and I, we may not be called to go to a certain location but our obedience can still sort of be halfway, can't it? We, we can walk in partial obedience. We do most of what God says, but we're not 
fully committed to him. We can rely on our own strength and not trust him completely. But, but when we step back and we see who God is, we see that God is the one who hears us in the midst of all of our troubles, and he's the one who is with us wherever we go, then we learn to, to submit to him more and more. Jacob sees his need to be fully committed, and as he sees that, he also sees the need to lead his family in that way, which he has not done up to this point. So he calls his family to be fully committed as well. He calls them to do three things. You see that there in in verse 2 when he speaks, he says, Put away the the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves. Change your garments. Calls them to do all three of those things. And after doing that, they can go to Bethel. You might be surprised to say there's foreign gods with Jacob and his people. But uh, we know at least that when they left Padan Aram, remember that whole thing with Rachel? And she stole her father's gods. I assume that those gods of Laban are still there. It may have just been a jab at Laban rather than the fact that Rachel was worshiping those gods. But still, they're probably there. And and they had just plundered Shechem. Remember that? They took everything from Shechem. And they probably took Shechem's false gods as well. But Jacob says to his family, we need to get rid of all of these other gods and serve God alone. This call to to put away foreign gods, to purify themselves, and then to change their garments reminds us of what Henry read earlier in, in Ephesians 4. This idea of putting off the deeds of the flesh, being renewed in the spirit of our minds, and putting on the deeds of the spirit. We've been saved by God, and he calls us to put off sin and to put on holiness, and it's only possible through the renewal that comes by the spirit. I think sometimes we emphasize putting off sin and putting on holiness, which is right. But I think there's that middle portion there where it's through the renewal of the Spirit. And I think that's what, there's three parts here, right? He says, to put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, which is something that only God can do, and then to change your garments, put on these deeds. We, we can't just focus on putting off and putting on without recognizing that it's the Spirit that is going to allow us and empower us to do that. I think this is good to remember in our walk of of faith, as we're walking and and seeking to to please God, to remember that God alone can allow us to walk with him. And he doesn't simply tell us what to not do, but he also tells us what to do. We are to say no to sin, and we're to say yes to to Christ, we renounce sin and we embrace purity and, and holiness. Some of us saw in Second Timothy yesterday and even this morning that we are to flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. I, I, I just would encourage us, don't try to be good apart from the power of God. Don't think that we can do it without being renewed in the spirit of our mind. We need God's spirit to, to make us holy. But also don't try to put on holiness without putting away foreign gods. Don't try to say, I'm going to be pure and I'm going to do what's right while still holding on to some sin, some false idol that we might be worshiping. We need to throw out all the idols, all the other false gods that would rival God alone, and then we can grow in holiness. It's a both and. In all of this, I think what we see too is that Jacob is a man who is finally leading his family. He's finally doing what he's supposed to do. He had failed to take them all the way to Bethel. He had failed to fully obey. But now he is. He had failed to protect them. 
He had failed to instruct them in how to walk with God, but now he is clear about how they must live and who they should worship. What a wonderful challenge. What a wonderful call on Father's Day. It's not a Father's Day message except for the fact that it's on Father's Day, but I don't think I could pick a better passage than Genesis 35. Brothers, those of us who are fathers, how are we leading our families? Do they see us walking in full obedience? Are we modeling what it looks like to to walk with God completely and to let Him control every part of us? Do our children know us as men who, while not perfect, are striving to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind, and all our strength? Do they hear us praising God as the one who has appeared to us in the gospel? Do they hear us saying that He is the one who's answered us in our distress, that He's been with us wherever we've gone? Do our children know us as men of prayer, as people who are devoted to private devotions? Do we lead them, not just by example, but in our words and in our teaching? Do we call our children to forsake foreign gods, to forsake sin, to forsake the idols that rob true worship from God? Do we show them the foolishness of forsaking God while also helping them to see the joy that's there when they would follow God? Do we just tell them, don't do this? Or do we also instruct them in wisdom and in holiness? Do we read the scriptures with them? Do we instruct them in the truth? Do we lead them in prayer? I read an article yesterday, uh, and, and the, the guy started the article thinking, talking about how children often say, watch me. I don't know if your kids do this, but my kids do it all the time. They want to show you some cool trick or a funny dance or a work of art or something. They want to show you something. Watch me. Watch me, Dad. And then the author twisted it, and he said, we should be able to say that to our children. We should be able to say, watch me. Watch what I do. Follow me as I follow Christ, like Paul said. Our children, whether they're toddlers or teenagers or 20-somethings or, or beyond, they need to see us walking in faith, loving the Lord, loving our spouse, loving the church, loving the lost. Can we call our families to watch us, to follow us as we follow Christ? That's a sobering challenge, isn't it? And you may not know where to start. Maybe you're afraid to start. You say, you know, I've failed at doing that so long that if I try, they're just going to reject me. Let me give you the example of Jacob, (laughs) who failed for decades to lead his family and finally said, enough is enough. How surprising this would be to them, this call to holiness. But he does it, calls his family to follow him, to put away foreign gods and to follow God. And they were probably surprised, (laughs) but they were blessed by it. So we must follow his example. Not just fathers, of course, right? I mean, we are all called to full obedience, to ridding our lives of idols, to putting on holiness, to leading others in following after God. And the result of this is blessing. Full devotion brings blessing. We see that he devotes himself to the Lord, and then there's protection. Verse 5, as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Jacob had feared that what Simeon and Levi did would make him stink before the Canaanites, and the Canaanites would come and attack him. So he started scheming. But instead, God shows him that if he would obey, God will protect his family. He didn't need to scheme. He just needed to trust and obey. And they arrived safely in the land, and just as God prom- just as God promised, and as they get there, God appears to him again in verses 9 uh, through 15, and he reiterates the covenant. He reminds him of his new name, Israel. He reminds him of this promised blessing. He calls him to be fruitful and multiply. 
to fill the land, that he's going to give him the land, and he's going to give that land to his descendants. And Jacob honors God. In all of these scenes, he, he builds an altar, he builds a pillar, and he shows his commitment to God and God's commitment to him. I think for us too, we're children of God through faith. And, and through faith in Jesus, we know that God is the God who answers us, that he will be with us, that he will protect us, that he will take us home. We look at this covenant that God makes with Jacob and with Isaac and with Abraham, and we see the fulfillment of it. We know the truth that, that God is faithful. We read this in 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. It says that God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, the seed who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is the gospel that God in Christ has appeared to us as the only Savior, the one, and, and those who would trust in Christ are freed from death and called to a holy calling, to, to full devotion to Him. A devotion that, that fully obeys, that puts off sin and puts on holiness by the power of Christ, that calls others to follow us as we follow Jesus. So this kind of full devotion, it brings blessing. Of course, if that's all this chapter is communicating, then we need to get our scissors out and cut some verses out, okay? So if you've got scissors with you, go to verse 8 and get that out of there because there's death involved. You get, we need to definitely get rid of verses 16 through 21. This is that whole thing with, with Rachel dying. Verse 22, what Reuben does needs to be gone. And we can just sort of end with the reconciliation between Esau and Jacob burying their father. Of course, that's not what the passage is teaching. It's not teaching us that full devotion just brings blessing, but also that full devotion equips us to face difficulty and death and to do it with faith. We're fully devoted to God. It, it, he, it equips us to face difficulty and death and to do it with faith. It's interesting that some people say that difficulty and death and and pain are reasons to not be fully devoted to God. That if God is allowing such things in our lives, that we shouldn't trust Him. But I think, in fact, that our devotion to Jesus, if we are fully devoted to Him, it allows us to face the inevitable pain of life with hope and with, with peace. Jacob shows us this probably in the most heart-rending scene, definitely in this passage, maybe in all of Jacob's life, as he watches his wife die in childbirth. Can you imagine in verse 16, they're journeying away from Bethel. They're probably journeying back to, to Isaac, which God had said he would take him back to his father. And as they're journeying, Rachel goes into labor. There's the words of the midwife there who says, don't fear, you have another son. She says that this is what you asked for. You remember, Rachel, after she had Joseph, she said, Lord, give me another son. And so God had answered her prayer. And the midwife, as it were, is saying, don't, don't be afraid. But we see that she is dying. It says it very clearly as, as she was breathing, as her soul was departing. What an interesting phrase to think about. For she was dying. She called the child's name Benoni. Benoni, son of my sorrow. I think Rachel knew sorrow, don't you? Just think about Rachel's life. She's betrayed by her father. 
and this whole issue with her sister for all of her life. She's barren for years, and now, in the middle of the desert, she's dying in childbirth. I mean, that name fits, right? If anyone has the right to call their child Benoni, I think Rachel does. It's interesting then that Jacob steps in and he says, no, not Benoni. Let's call him Benjamin. Benjamin, son of, of the right hand, son of, son of blessing, son of, of honor. I mean, just think about that. Jacob looks at this child who for the rest of his life is going to remind him of the death of the love of his life. I mean, Rachel was the wife that he loved deeply. And this child now is the reminder that she is dead. But in faith, he refuses to look at the child and say that this child is only a source of sorrow. That it only marks sorrow and pain in my life. Rather, he faces this difficulty. He faces death with faith. And he says, God is at work even in this. God is doing something even in the pain that's going on here. I think as we learn to be fully devoted to Christ, as we grow in faith, as we walk through the years, that he enables, enables us to face dark days like this with faith. Some of us will face the death of a spouse. Is it lack of devotion to Christ that's going to help us face that? Or is it if we are fully devoted to him and fully trusting his sovereignty and his love and his goodness and his resurrection I think that's how we're going to face it with hope. Not by being partially devoted to Christ. Jacob is fully devoted. Life is an absence of tears. And and this isn't some sort of fake joy. But it's just an honest understanding of life. And an honest understanding of evil. And an honest understanding of God's sovereignty and his goodwill. The death of Rachel isn't the only death in the passage. In, In verse 8... You see Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, die. Rebecca's nurse. So Jacob's mother's nurse. And we know when Jacob left from, um, from the land of Canaan that no one was with him. So we assume that, that Deborah joined up with Jacob's family in Padanaram somewhere. So Deborah has is, is been given a pretty long life. And she's traveling now back to, um, to Canaan with Jacob and his family, and in the midst of that journey, she dies. And they bury her under an oak tree there in Bethel. Her death slowly starts to mark the inevitable passing of the previous generation. So Jacob is now growing older, and the generation before him that had been given the promises of God is slowly passing off the scene. I think more personally, though, for Jacob, this is his sort of last connection with his mom. Uh, This is the woman that would have nursed his mother. This is the the woman that um, would represent his mom to him. You know, for 20 years, Jacob has been away from his mother, more than 20 years. His mother has now died. And and I think Deborah, the, the nurse, would have been almost like a mother to Jacob. And so now... He was not there when his mother died, but he's there when Deborah dies. And maybe this is the way that he even grieves the loss of his mom. And then he's reunited with his father later on, Jacob or Isaac, who lived 180 years. We come back in contact with Isaac, and he breathes his last as well and dies and is buried. Isaac, again, sort of marks this passing of the generation 
before and the passing of the promise on to 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 Jacob. It's now Isaac has has gone off the scene and Jacob is the one who is passing on the the blessing that God has given. I, I think there's comfort here because I feel like as they leave, Jacob seems to finally be walking in their footsteps in faith. We know what's going on here. But it's also interesting, I think, to think about Jacob facing the death of his parents. I don't know that that's very often seen in in Scripture. Some of you have faced that, have faced the death of your your parents. And most of us will probably. How do you walk that path of, of losing that close relationship of the one who raised us, one of the closest relationships of our lives? I think it's full devotion to God, faith in Him that He will help us endure that difficulty that helps us to do it. Trust in His sovereignty, trust in His control, trust that His promises are true, that we will see those who have trusted in Him again. I don't speak from personal experience on this. My parents are still alive, but I have seen many of you walk through that. And you have done it with faith. I see it in shadow here with Jacob, but I've seen it in flesh and blood with people in our church that have faith, that walk into that difficult situation and trust that God is faithful, fully devoted to him, not wavering in the faith, but knowing that what his said, what his promises say are true, that he is in control. And for all of us, we can know that as we are fully devoted to Christ, we can walk into that and and trust him, even when we lose those that are so dear to us. I think that should be true for all pain, isn't it? All all pain, any pain that we face in life should not drive us further from God, but it should drive us further closer closer to him. I mean, God is the only one that can bear up underneath these questions and the difficulties that we have in life. And if Jacob had been wandering far from God, I don't know how he faces this. But since he's fully devoted at this point, when these difficulties come into his life, the death of his wife, the death of a woman who was probably a mother to him, the death of his father. He knows how to trust God in the midst of it. And in the face of death, in the face of difficulty, in the face of pain, it's the Christian. It's the one who is fully devoted to Christ, who has a Savior who has faced death, who has tasted death, who has defeated death. We know how to face these things. The resurrection of Jesus makes Jesus the only person that we can go to with any confidence when it comes to death. And his resurrection reminds us that all this pain is temporary. Full devotion to Christ. It equips us to face all the difficulty, all the pain, all the death and to, in life and to do it with, with faith. In chapter 47, there's this wonderful scene where Jacob is brought before Pharaoh. And, and Joseph introduces his father to Pharaoh. What an interesting thing. And one of the things that Jacob says there is, he talks about his life, and he says of his life, he says, few and ev- that the days of his life have been few and evil. What a commentary. I think Jacob did face a lot of difficulty. He faced a lot of pain, and he faced a lot of evil. Some of it was because of others, and a lot of it was because of his own actions. But we see him in this chapter and throughout finally learning to walk in full obedience. And he receives God's blessings and he faces difficulty and he faces pain. And he does it in a way that 
It just models what full devotion to God would look like. I'm struck, too, at how many things Jacob buries. He's done a lot of burying lately. This is more figurative, but he sort of buries the hatchet with Esau. Remember that? I mean, they dealt with that. And then you have this wonderful scene at the end where Esau and Jacob are there together burying their father. What a beautiful picture of reconciliation and what God can do. But not just that, but he's also led his family to bury all their idols. He's buried his parents figuratively in Deborah and and literally uh, with his father Isaac. He's buried his wife. And not to stretch it too far, but I think in all of this, he's sort of burying Jacob. (laughs) He's burying the deceiver. He's laying to rest the schemer and the the heel grabber and and who he was. He's he's taking on his new name, Israel, finally. This This is the first place that the text calls him Israel. Verse 21, Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. That's the first time that the text calls him Israel. Because he's finally acting like Israel. Everything has been stripped away. Any false god, they're gone. Acceptance by others, relationships, they're gone. Personal reputation, that's gone. Pride that he could have, that's gone. You know what he's got left? He's got a limp (laughs) from when he wrestled with God and God changed his name. And it's just this reminder that God is in control. That he's going to bless and he's going to do as he sees fit. And Jacob just needs to stay faithful and remain fully devoted to God. This is what the soul that's devoted to God looks like. It's, it's just sort of laid bare. All allegiances to anything other than God are laid to rest and buried. Pride is put to death. False gods are put to death. Devotion to Christ trumps our devotion to family. Those relationships, we love them, but they are in many ways buried in our devotion to Christ. We are fully devoted to Him alone. That's how we come to God, isn't it? How do we come to faith in God through Jesus in the first place? We come with empty hands. We come trusting only in what God has done for us through His death and resurrection. And what does He do? He buries us. (laughs) He buries our old self and He raises us up to be new people. He takes our old name, being a slave to sin, and he kills that and he raises it up so that we are now children of the living God. We are sons and daughters of the King. And then this is how we keep walking in faith. We are constantly letting go of the idols. We're letting go of self. We're letting go of of family. We're devoting ourselves fully to God, the God who has appeared to us. He has appeared to us in Christ. The God who has spoken good news to us. The God who has heard all of our cries and the God who has been with us throughout all of our lives. We walk with Him. We learn how to be devoted to Him. And He blesses us. And one of the ways He blesses us is that He helps us to walk through pain and difficulty and death in a way that honors Him. Just keep limping along. Keep limping along and trusting and being fully devoted to him until he calls us to face death ourselves. To cross into the land of promise. And he will be faithful even then as we are devoted to him. Let's pause and reflect on God's word this morning. And then I'll I'll close us 
in prayer. Lord God, we confess this morning that there are many things that keep us from being fully devoted to you. There are idols in our lives, whether they be things that we love more than you, people that we love more than you. Lord, there are things that are keeping us from being fully obedient and fully devoted to you. We are so often like Jacob. So I pray, Lord, that you would continue to humble us, continue to to strip away the things that that call for our allegiances and help us to trust in Christ alone. Lord, and as we are walking with you, as we are fully devoted, as we grow in that, you are so faithful to bless us. Lord, you bless us even when we fail. But as we walk with you, you, you show us how you are a protector. You show us how you give us blessing. And then, Lord, you bless us with this wonderful gift of walking in hope and peace in the midst of difficulty and even in the face of death, death of those that we love, even our own death. Lord, let us not be driven from you by pain, but that we would come to you even deeper, that we would know you even more, that we would know the love of the Father for us. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Jacob and this journey that we've had with him. Thank you that he's, um, you've shown us how broken he is and you've helped us to see how much like him we are and how gracious you are to us, God. Pray it in Christ's name. Amen.